You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Today we are going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It is page 1 of my Bible. So um, please turn there with me if you have a Bible. Um, If you don't have one, there should be one under um, a seat in front of you. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures in your home, please take that Bible with you as a gift from us today. We would love for you to have God's word in your house. So if you are able, please go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Again, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Y'all can be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. You guys all look lovely. So as Janet was saying, uh, we, we kicked off a series a few weeks ago called Blueprints. Uh, and basically kind of discussing the, the foundational, uh, or really the foundation of how God made the world, made us, designed us, uh, and really how that speaks into our culture today. Um, and, and I think it's a very important subject if, if you've turned on the news at all and followed the things that go on in our world. Uh, and with, with the widespread media and social media and things like that, we can see it probably much more than in past times. Uh, And and we can see some crazy things happening if you are maybe a little bit older in the room uh, and you come from uh, kind of an older generation from when you were a kid to our society now. A lot of things have changed very rapidly, right? Um, And and so it's a unique situation to look and say, okay, biblically, uh, how how do we speak into, how do we look into our current cultural situation uh, with solid biblical foundations and truths on how to navigate this with, with, with some fruitfulness? And so we thought it would be really good to just talk about Genesis 1, 2, and 3 uh, and just really God. But there we go. Perfect. Let there be voice. And there was. Um, So um, that's actually relevant to what we're talking about. Okay. That's how God did it. Uh, and so, uh, just kind of a recap, uh, the first week we, we talked about God is, and talked about this idea that uh, not only the Bible, but the entire universe and your very existence only exists because God is. You are not at the center of the world, you're not at the center of the Bible, you're not at the center of anything, God is. And, and everything exists because God is, everything's held together because God is. And then last week we went into creation. Um, and we talked about how God just spoke and things were, right? How the world was not made just by these random series of trillions of events that may or may not happen all happening at the same time. But rather, it was a unique designer who has designed the world, has designed you and I uh, in a very unique and unbelievable way, right? And, and he did this all for his glory. And so uh, we talked about how God is, is good and in creation, right? God has purpose in creation, which is so, so good. If you have not got a chance to listen to the sermon last week, I strongly suggest it. It's really, really good. And we'll play into what we talk about today. So uh, let's go ahead and pray together. Uh, I only got one verse. So uh, this verse is, 
it, it really the next three weeks will just be in one verse at a time, and there's a lot we could talk about in these verses. Um, so I just want to pray for clarity from the Lord and that he would give us a fruitful time together. So if you wouldn't mind joining me in prayer, uh, we'll do that together. Father, we uh, love you. We thank you that you love us, that you designed us in unbelievably unique ways. God, that you designed us with purpose, that you designed us in your own goodness and justice and mercy. And God, you're so glorious. And I fear, God, that without your help, we know this is true, we cannot see that glory. Without your help, Holy Spirit, we're dead inside. Without your help, we're not amazed. Without your help, we're not in wonder at what you have done, and more importantly, who you are. And so our prayer this morning, God, is that you would open our eyes to see that. God, would your word be glorious? Would you be glorious in our minds, in our hearts? Don't let us be numb. Don't let us be unmoved by what we see in your word today. And don't let us feel unloved, but God, let us feel uniquely loved by a unique God who has made us in his image, has bestowed upon us great honor. God, let us have life today. May we be encouraged and change in your word. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're talking about today being made in the image of God. As the Latin theological phrase is the imago Dei. And I'll use that kind of interchangeably. Uh, today, um, just because it flows better in some sentences. It's not because I'm fancy, because that's the only Latin I know, okay? Uh, yeah, so anyways. Um, there's a few things I want to point out just generally about the creation of, of man here, because uh, we stopped right before this. Last week, we just, we just discussed the creation of everything else besides man, because man has a unique role, uh, not really role, but a unique place in creation that we'll talk about today, being made in God's image, the only uh, creation to be made in God's image. Uh, and I got three just kind of overarching truths uh, about being made in the image of God that have to do with our relationships um, with, with God, with others, and with the world. And we'll kind of discuss those and go through them. And I promise to probably be on time, okay? Um, so we'll go through that. So let's just read one time just to get in our minds again because uh, it probably passed you before you even got your Bibles open because it's so short. But verse 26 of Genesis 1 says this, Then, after creation... Uh, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So a few things I want to point out and, and just to keep in reminder too, Court mentioned this last week and probably the week before, but every sermon in this series, we want to answer two main questions and that is this, um, it is, what is this passage telling us about God, and what does that mean for us? Since that's the questions we want to answer today. What does this passage tell us about God, and what does that mean for us? A few things. Uh, one is that man was the last thing that was made. And I'm using man here as mankind. It's both uh, man and woman, male and female, just for clarification, okay? Um, I'm not a chauvinist up here just saying it was only man. It was uh, both, okay? Um, but they were made last. And this is both humbling and honoring for us. It's humbling. And I think God did this very purposely because you and I 
had nothing to do with the world existing, right? It's just a reminder, we were created last, everything else existed before we ever existed. So unless you feel awesome or that man had something to do with it, uh, it is humbling because we had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with creation of the world. But it's also honoring because we can see here in a unique way that man is like the apex of God's creation. That he designed everything and then he designed man, mankind in his image. This is a unique spot we have. So it's both humbling and honoring at the same time. Another thing is that man is the only creature that is created in the image of God. It is not said about anything else that was ever created uh, except that man was made in the image of God. And we're going to talk about this more and some implications of that. But I just want to point that out. No animal or plant is made in God's image. We do not uh, come from apes. There's a very clear distinction. Uh, and I don't say that because I have uh, tons of science knowledge. I say that simply because the Bible says that we were the only, only creatures made in the image of, of God. <clears throat> and so we probably should ask the question, okay, well, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Uh, and this is a question that probably one million books have been written about, and I am not going to pretend to come up with my own answer. Uh, and, and there are many, uh, I think, maybe rabbit trails we could go on about what it means specifically to be created in the image of God. Uh, but I'll just suffice it to state that's beyond me. I want to give a very simple definition, and I don't want to try to add things that uh, maybe aren't biblical or very maybe clearly explicitly stated in the Bible about what it means. And so I'm going to use Wayne Grudem, uh, his definition uh, in his Systematic Theology book, page 442. He says this, uh, The fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. Okay, like I said, I, I don't want to mention maybe specifically how we're like God in a bunch of different ways because uh, I think there's some bleed over, right? Like we have some similar uh, qualities than, uh, of other creatures, right? And so that can kind of blend together and even some qualities maybe uh, about Satan uh, and different things. So I'm just not going to go into it. But the point is that just two main things, that we're like God at least to some degree in some way and that we represent him here on earth. That's what it means to be in the image of God. One other thing I want to point out too is that prior to the creation of man, God has this like counsel with himself. He doesn't do this with anything else. All other things that were created, it just says God said, let there be, boom, and it was, right? He's just creating things left and right. And all of a sudden it comes to man, and he doesn't just say let there be man, but he says, hey, it's like the Trinity has this counsel with one another. Say, let us, let us make man. In our image, after our likeness, he begins a dialogue with himself. Now, there is a theological view that says God was actually probably dialoguing with the angels. Um, I would say that has to be uh, just from this text alone and the other portions of Scripture biblically inaccurate. Um, and I would say it's very clear this is the Trinitarian God of the Bible who's going around creating everything out of nothing and has counsel within himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to say, hey, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and God does. I think that's an important distinction to make. We represent the triune God. We are made in his image. And so I think this is inevitably, yes, the Trinity, not angels. Um, and so this shows that God takes special care, special consideration, uh, and special honor to the creation of man, and this is a good thing. And so... Um, Knowing that God has made us uh, in his image, we are not like other uh, creatures in this sense that God has made because we were made in his image. Uh, and 
this is what it means, the Imago Day. Now, I do want to mention one thing before I get into my three main points here, and that's this. Uh, I do think, and there's been debate about this in the theological realm. I had a lot of things when I was studying. It's just there's a lot of debates about this idea of the Imago Day, and there's a lot of camps here. So that's, I'm just keeping it general today, okay? Uh, cause, just because I think it's important and for, for our purposes here that we don't go down a lot of rabbit trails. But um, I do think that in, to some degree after the fall, which we'll talk about later on in this series, that uh, the image of God that was in Adam and Eve was distorted to some degree uh, within us. And I'll make the argument later on that it wasn't fully destroyed uh, because there's very clear texts that say even the worst sinner still represents the image of God uh, to at least some degree somehow by God's grace. And so uh, I think there has been a marring of somewhat because of sin, right, of the image of God in us. And I think that will be restored in Jesus Christ fully uh, one day. Uh, but for now, suffice it to say that I think we still, even as sinners, um, even as broken sinners, represent the image of God and are image bearers of God still. And I think the Bible would talk about it that way. So let's get into three things I want to point out about this text. Uh, and uh, like I said, I want to keep in mind the relationships between God, others, and the world and some practical implications from that. The first um, thing is that the Imago Day gives us unique joy, our relationship with God. So we have unique joy. That's my first point, a unique joy as the people of God. Here's what I want to say. God has made us in his image. Once again, we're not like other uh, creatures, but we have a very specific and unique calling, and that is that we are image bearers with God and have the capacity and the ability to have a relationship with God. This is profound. No other creature, no other creation has the capacity to have a relationship with God outside of us in this world. The angels are kind of a unique thing. We won't really kind of go off on there, but, but we have the relationship with God. We have the capacity um, to know him, to trust him, to seek him, to love him, to worship him, to repent to him when we sin, to believe in him and his son, Jesus Christ. We have this unique relationship. Now, this privilege to know God, which court discussed at length last week in a really good way. Once again, listen to that shameless plug. Uh, it's not given to animals, plants. It is preserved for humans and humans alone. We have such an honor and such a joy to be created in the image of God and have the capacity and ability to have a relationship with him. Now, I know I'm going to offend all the animal lovers here today, okay? And that is my goal today is to offend you. Uh, no, not really, but it, it can be, I guess. You know, the whole all dogs go to heaven type thing. I don't really know what happens, but I don't think that happens. Um, and, and, and I know there's maybe some evidence for animals in heaven, but the point is that uh, animals do not have some unique relationship with God. Animals, uh, I, I know if you're thinking about your puppy or something, you're like, no, no, listen, when my puppy disobeys, okay, he's like a real human. It's like, it's like we're friends, right? He's like the man's best friend. But what's really happening with the puppy is just, uh, it's just instinct. The puppy knows the puppy is going to be in trouble because he peed on the carpet for the 37th time. Like that's just instinct, right? He's not walking around for weeks afterwards just feeling this guilt and shame for urinating on your shag carpet. That's not happening, okay? It doesn't happen with animals. It's not the same uh, as them. Uh, and this is important to state. And you might think, well, obviously, okay, we know these things. But this is serious. This is not a joke. In our culture right now, there are lawyers 
There are organizations that are devoted to fighting for human rights for animals. Human rights for animals. Now, I am in no way promoting animal cruelty. I don't believe in any of that. I think Proverbs 12.10 says that a righteous man regards, has regard for his beast, right? He does. He cares about his animal. But animals are not humans. I mean, this happened in 2015 in May. There was a New York lawyer. There was two chimps. It was Leo and Hercules, which sound awesome. But they were having this trial, and they were trying to pass that these were humans, and therefore they could not be in captivity. And this goes on and on. Um, but this is something real happening in our culture. Not only that, but if you guys have heard of Union Theological Seminary, um, which I believe is in New York as well. It's a crazy seminary, totally lost, liberal, just out there left field. But they had a chapel where they confessed their sins to plants. Where they said, you know, we're sorry for all the wrong we've done in the universe. And we just want to take this time to talk to you and confess to you all the wrong we've done, right? Giving human qualities to plants. And it's just, and you might say, yeah, this is goofy. But uh, it's, it's an important distinction we need to make in our culture and in our lives that God has given you, you as a human being, every human being, unique capacity and ability to know him and love him. And this by far a million miles sets us apart from any other uh, creation. We are image bearers of God with the capacity to know him. Therefore, right, if we have this honor and we have this capacity, let us not squander it by not pursuing him and seeking him to know him with all of our hearts, right? We have this as image bearers, this honor. And God is, is setting aside this text in a unique way to show us that. He's saying, hey, let us the triune God of the universe, creator of all things, create man in a specific way that we might know him and have relationship with him. So this is important. Uh, it is very important, more important than fighting for human rights. It is important uh, that we know this. <clears throat> Second thing is not only does the Imago Dei give us a unique joy, which is relationship with God, uh, but the Imago Dei gives us um, a unique dignity, relationship with others. So because we are created in the image of God, you and I and everyone on the face of the earth, uh, every human that's ever lived or ever will live has a very unique value and dignity, which is very important for us to discuss, especially with uh, things going on in our time. So we have a unique relationship with people, okay? A unique relationship with people um, is that we are all image bearers of God, not just few people, not just Christians, Everyone in the world is an image bearer of God. This gives us a unique relationship with others. Mankind, because we're created in the image of God, have unique dignity. I want to show this in a few texts outside of where we're at. Uh, Genesis 9, 6 says this. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so the argument here is that if you kill another human being, you should be killed. Why? Because we were created in God's own image, and therefore to kill and take another human life is a bad thing. Uh, as Matt Chandler said one time in preaching on this, he said, no one's going to put a lion on trial for killing another lion. That just kind of happens in the wild, okay? No, I mean, I guess now they are doing trials, but, uh, you know, when the statement was said, maybe that wasn't a thing. But, okay, so no one's going to call out a lion for eating a gazelle. It's just, that's how it works, right? That's how they stay alive. But it's different with humans because we have a unique dignity and value that is bestowed upon us because we are image bearers. James 3.9, uh, in talking about the tongue and its uh, rowdiness, if you will, and its propensity to sin, says this. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, 
and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And the obvious implication is that we shouldn't curse people because they are made in the likeness and image of God, right? Uh, and there's some various texts that will continue to prove this, but my point is, uh, is that we have a unique dignity and value. And so our sins against people hold a certain weight because of that dignity and value. And this is important because uh, you might be on one end of the spectrum where you feel like you don't have a lot of dignity and value. And to you, I just want to remind you that you do. Simply because you were created in the image of God, you have value, you have dignity, you have worth, you have something to fight for, if you will, okay? Um, and then on the other end, maybe you're someone who uh, is in sin that maybe devalues human life to whatever capacity. And we'll talk about some of those, but uh, on that end of the spectrum, I just want to encourage you that um, God takes that seriously. He takes it seriously, so seriously that he says, if you kill someone, you will be killed. God is not... Um, in the business of taking that lightly, if you will. And so remember that when we get involved in these sins, we are devaluing the very thing that God has bestowed value on. We are taking dignity away from the very thing that God has put dignity on, and God will not stand for that. And so be afraid as we walk into those sins. Be afraid that we don't devalue human life. Um, so the way we treat others in light of these truths, it matters. It matters how we treat others. And there's kind of two overarching uh, areas I want to talk about this in. And one is the obvious uh, about the sins here with the human atrocities that we see. And I want to make mention a few things of clarity. One, I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody in regards to these things. I just want to make obvious the, because uh, the, the cultural tide right now that we're in, it's going a different direction than the dignity of human life. It's taking the opposite turn. And so I think we should talk about these things plainly, clearly. Um, and like I mentioned before, I, I want to be very clear. This is biblical, not political. I have no political agenda. I have no affiliation with a political party. Uh, I'm like Ron Swanson, all right? You just put me out in the woods, I'm good. No government, that's fine with me. Uh, but um, this is biblical. It's a biblical issue. We need to talk about this biblically, about the dignity of human life. And so let's mention a few of those human atrocities. We can talk about abortion, right? that we'd rather save plants or animals rather than a human life. The argument, if, if, if you've been around for some time, went from it's not actually a baby till it gets you a certain point in the womb to now where the science is so clear that you can't say that anymore because it's obviously a baby even at conception that now the argument is, well, uh, the uh, comfort of the woman's life and what she's able to handle, that supersedes any right that a baby would have in the womb, and therefore you could kill the baby because uh, the woman's right is what matters, right? We can go on and on, but you can see how this devalues the dignity of human life. It's evil. It's pure evil. And this isn't new to history. None of these things are new to history that we're going to talk about. These things, nothing new under the sun, right? They come and they come and they come. And if you study history, these things have always been there. Why? Because Satan hates God, right? Our enemy hates God. Our enemy hates you because you bear his image, and so forget about the science, right? We can cloak it in all of these things, right? That a woman has reproductive rights and all these things, but it's murder. It's murder, and it's crazy numbers. Medically assisted suicide, right? The, the, voluntarily, uh, the voluntary, I guess, act of the medical community to, to just kill you, right? Because you're either afraid of death or you don't want to suffer or what it may be. Or, or this also happens with the elderly in many countries in Europe now where it's like, well, you just... Uh, kind of a nuisance to society, rather than taking the biblical view, which says you should take care 
of your parents in their old age. Because if you don't, you're worse than a non-believer, right? Uh, instead of that, it's like we just get rid of them, right? It's just marginalized people. And you're going to see this over and over again in our society, right? It starts with one thing and then it just kind of gets worse and worse. It's insatiable, right? Uh, that taking away human dignity is insatiable and it will continue to grow. Uh, you can look at pornography. And I know it's something that a lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about, but statistically, uh, a large percentage of us in here would struggle with that, right? Uh, and, and this is something that is also evil. This is taking someone, instead of giving them human value and dignity, right? It, it's making them an object for pleasure rather than a, a person with dignity. And, and if you would even understand some of the circumstances that got people there, it would just horrify you. Sex trafficking, Houston is one of the, is maybe the largest port for sex trafficking. Racism. Uh, right, all are created equal. Everyone is an image bearer of God, no matter ethnic background, socioeconomic background, doesn't matter, poor, rich, black, white. Everyone is equal uh, in God, and this has also been something. And the list goes on. I I'm not going to try to belabor this point to uh, the end, but I do want to say that my point is that what we are experiencing, although it is not unique to history or new to history, is in fact an affront to the dignity and value and worth of human life. It's an affront to it by the enemy. And we must, with clarity and conviction and grace, confront these issues with a seriousness about what's going on in our society, a biblical seriousness uh, that we must be against this. It must be a fight in us to combat the affront that's happening to human dignity and value. And we must do it not only just in the public square, but I think also in our hearts. Because like I said, don't, don't be mistaken. There's uh, not just these atrocities, but I mean, there's just everyday sin in our hearts of anger, abuse, you name it, right, that come out because of this, this devaluing. And so we must be against it. Every man woman and children has the label Amago Dei, created in the image of God and should be treated as such. Another, maybe a um, little more lighthearted, but still serious way that we should look at this is how do you view hospitality? You know, how do you view, like, um, how, how do we step into people's lives when they are suffering, when they are in need, uh, and show people hospitality and love. This is another Imago Day issue. I love what uh, John Calvin says. This is a quote from him. He says, We should not regard what a man is and what he deserves, but we should go higher. That is, that it is God who has placed us in the world for such a purpose that we be united and joined together. He has impressed his image in us and has given us a common nature. We should incite, uh, oh, sorry, which should incite us to providing one for the other. The man who wishes to exempt himself from providing for his neighbor should face himself and declare that he no longer wishes to be a man. For as long as we are human creatures, we must contemplate as in a mirror our face in those who are poor, despised, exhausted, who groan under their burdens. I love that. He says, listen, our justification for providing for other people and loving other people is not simply uh, them, but you must look higher to God who has created all of us equal. And so to say, I'm going to be selfish with uh, my resources and, and not step in and love other people would be to say, I shouldn't be a man, right? 
So he connected this divine truth of God creating us in his image to us uh, stepping into other people's lives and helping them. And Jesus did uh, virtually the same thing, right? He, he said, um, you know, there's all these people, basically this analogy that he gave, and they all uh, stood before God at judgment day, and uh, they were kind of separated. And, right, there was a people that uh, Jesus said, you clothed me when I needed clothes. You came and visited me in prison. You fed me when I was hungry. You did all these, these things for me. And they said, Jesus... We never did that for you. What are you talking about? And he said, well, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me, right? And, and then the opposite was true for the other people. He said, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't do that for me. And they said, what are you talking about? We never saw you. If we saw you, we would have done it, right? And then he says, well, if you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it unto me. And, and so you see the connection there, right, to what we do unto, unto people. And so um, it gives us a, a unique dignity. This is this is an awesome thing. It's a profound thing. But this also definitely uh, should, um, I guess, inform the way we think about what's going on in our society, in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, uh, and, and should branch out from there. Um, but be encouraged. You have dignity. You have value. You have worth because your creator has given that to you, and no man can take that from you. No matter how hard they try, no matter what sins have happened against you, no human being can take that from you. It's been given by God by his grace. And by his grace is being restored in Jesus Christ. Um, the third thing is the Imago Day gives us unique purpose, our relationship with the world. So we got... Um, our relationship with God, this unique joy, our relationship with others, this unique dignity. And then lastly, our relationship with the world, uh, this unique purpose. Uh, I love that Court mentioned this last week, but we, we have purpose. God created things with purpose and he's given us, as his image bearers, purpose. He's given us purpose. Um, so many people today, I feel like, struggle with a sense of purpose. I think this might be somewhat of the issue with the, the millennials, right? which I think I'm included in that. I don't remember the exact cutoffs, but I think I am uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, I like to not feel that way because it's a shameful thing to be a millennial, okay? Because, you know, the picture you get is someone walking, you know, on their phone and running into a pole or something because they're TikToking. But uh, nonetheless, I don't TikTok if you were wondering. Um, but it's going to be an exhausting, depressing life if you do not, find deep and soul-satisfying purpose in God and what he's created you to be. Look at me. You will always, always, always seek purpose in the wrong things if you don't have this purpose. I mean, you will search high and low to find worth, to find dignity, to find purpose, and you will not find it but in God and what he's created you to do and to be. This is why he says, let us make man in our image. And, and what? And they have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock of the field, over all the world. And we're going to talk about this cultural mandate in, in a few weeks from now. But uh, I, was just, I don't want to get ahead of myself. There's so many sermons I'm not allowed to cut into. And so i got to stick to this, this narrow lane. That's good. Um, but um, he's giving us purpose. Dominion over the world. And I'm going to translate this to, uh, and we talked about this, uh, I think, in the last couple of sermons. But God has given you the purpose to glorify him by imaging him to the world. What is your purpose? To glorify him by imaging him to the world. I don't know if that's actually a verb, but you get what I'm saying. By representing him, okay? To be his image bearers in the world. This is your purpose. And if you embrace this purpose for what it is and find true satisfaction in this purpose and what God has created you to be, this is a life-giving thing. 
This is a joyful thing. This is not a boring thing. Our life as Christians is not boring. It's not boring. We've been given purpose. We've been given things to do. So the natural outflow of the Imago Day is the cultural mandate. It's to go, subdue the earth, have dominion, rule over it, be God's image bearers over all of creation. Make the rest of the world like that. And so you and I, we exist to represent God. We exist to represent him. And this goes into many other things. And like I said, I don't want to go too far down any rabbit trail. But I will say this. I think we get some clarity from the cultural mandate when we look at the new covenant. So when you got the old covenant, what we're reading here with Adam, um, th- there's this, uh, this dominion right to go and subdue the earth, have dominion over it, uh, basically take the garden and multiply it over all, all the world. And, and I think that's good, but I think it's only half of the, the story. I think once we get into the new covenant, we see the fullness of the story, which is what? Go and not just have physical dominion over the world, but, but, but spiritual Go, make disciples of all the nations, right? This, this dominion is not just physical, it, it, it's, it's spiritual. And like we mentioned before, we, we have somewhat kind of marred this, this image of God, I think, through sin, right? Then entering the world and kind of messing things up. But I think in Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the radiance of the glory of God, right? The exact imprint, as Hebrews 1.3 says, of his nature, And in Jesus Christ, Colossians 3.10, Ephesians 4.24, we are being restored to the image of our creator. And I think that in that, we are, as we become more like Christ, as we put off the old self, which has been slain with Christ, and put on the new self, and walk in holiness, and justice, and mercy, and all these things that represent God, we are bearing his image to the world. This is the whole idea, right? Think of Matthew chapter 5, right? That they'll see your good works and they'll give glory to your Father in heaven. And so just you alone uh, in Christ, pursuing holiness, becoming more like him, you are bearing the image of Christ and finding deep purpose. And whatever you do, listen, you're not going to find purpose ultimately in your career. You're not going to find purpose ultimately in your spouse choice. You're not going to find purpose ultimately through your kids. You're going to find purpose, God-honoring, joyful purpose in doing what you were created to do, which is to bear the image of God to the rest of the world. And in doing that, we find joy. So we promised the answer, the answering of two questions. That is, what is this passage telling us about God and what does this mean for us? I just want to recap that really quick. Um, God is passionate about his glory. God loves his glory. You and I exist for that reason alone, to glorify him, to honor him as God, who he is. You exist for that. God is passionate about his glory, and he has created mankind to that end. He takes special care in creating us in his image. He wants us to know him. He gave us the capacity to do so. He loves us, and he's bestowed upon us a dignity in worth that is just mind-blowing considering who we are and how we uh, treat his glory and treat him. He loves us. What does this mean for us? We should embrace our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our relationship with the world and seek at all cost with all of our capacity to glorify him as we image him and become more like him.
that is what you are called to do. That is the Imago Day in the flesh, in you. Uh, and so I pray this is encouraging to you. Um, I was debating for a long time how to end this sermon. I just, I don't know. I just want to pray. <laughs> I just want to pray. Uh, we just worship God through this. Like we pray at the beginning that God would just open our eyes. I mean, these truths, I mean, they could just, you know, pass right through your head, give no thought, never touch your heart. But God forbid that happens. I want to be blown away at the truths of God and how he's designed the world. I want to pray for our world. God's in control. I know that. He's in control of every nation. He's in control of every person. He's in control of every politician. He's in control of everything. I have no doubt about that. But I want to pray. I want to pray for our world. I want to pray that the lies of the enemy would be crushed. The clarity of the scripture would be true. So... If you wouldn't mind, let's just um, let's just pray together to that end. You guys can bow your heads with me. Ben, you can come up whenever. Father, we uh, just come to you this morning. Thank you. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making us unique above all the creation. God, thank you for making us in your image. What a beautiful and just baffling thing that we get to have a relationship with you and one another and the world and have purpose and all these things we talked about, Lord. Thank you. And God, our prayer this morning is twofold. One, we pray for our hearts. God, we want to be blown away by you. We want to be in awe. We want to have reverence and fear about who you are. And it's in the story of the Imago Day that we just throw ourselves in worship to you and say, God, you're awesome, you're glorious, you're magnificent, you're amazing. And we will spend eternity just learning that more and more and more and more with no end to your glory, no end to your honor. And God, don't let us sit by, as we said at the beginning prayer, numb, unmoved, unchanged by these truths, but God, change us. And secondly, we pray for our world. God, the answer to our current cultural moment and situation is not politics. It's not a politician. It is simply and merely your grace, your truth, your design in the way you made the world. And we pray that the dignity of human life would be elevated, that things like pornography and sex trafficking and abortion would be gone. God, would you wipe it away? Would you take away the pain and the suffering that it brings? Would you elevate human dignity and value like you did at creation? Would you change what's going on for your glory? And God, if it's not going to change, we pray like Paul in the scriptures, come, come Lord Jesus, restore it, renew it. We long for the day that we will be free from sin, free from marring your image with the evil that's inside of us. Oh God, we long for that day. We pray for that day. We yearn for that day to be with you forever. God, would you help us 
would you change us? We need you. And it's in these things that we rejoice and we pray in your son Christ's name. Amen.